them. This, this morning uh, on, on our walk, uh, a lot of times I, on Sunday mornings and throughout the week, in fact, I talk to Chris when we go on our walks about uh, this week's sermon. And she says, Christmas is coming up. You're, you're talking about suffering? Um, you know, this is, this is a, a theme. We pointed out in, in First Peter that, uh, you know, this is a, a big theme in, in this book. And, uh, you know, I guess we, we can tie it to Christmas because of the reason Jesus came. This, this little baby who was, who was born to come to earth, become one of us, and, and suffer and, and die. You know, we, we must never forget that uh, that, is, that is the gospel. That is, that is the gospel. And, you know, we can't, we can't leave Jesus in a manger any more than we can leave him on the cross you know, the gospel is that he came, he suffered, he died, he rose from the dead, and he's at the right hand of the Father right now interceding for us. He's come to give us salvation. So uh, the, the title of this sermon this morning is, is Suffering with a Purpose. And we're in uh, 1 Peter 4.12, so you might want to turn to that. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, in, in her book, A Place of Healing, Joni Tata Erickson reflects on how we tend to worry that the cares and troubles and afflictions of life will wear us down, dulling our joy, diluting our hope, robbing us of radiance that we once experienced as believers. In fact, writes Tata, it may be the very opposite. It isn't the hurts, blows, and bruises that rob us of the freshness of Christ's beauty in our lives. More likely, she says, it's careless ease, empty pride, earthly preoccupations, and too much prosperity that will put layers of dirty films over our souls. And she illustrates the point. She says, I'll never forget years ago when I had the chance to visit uh, Notre Dame Cathedral while I was in Paris. There it was, almost a thousand years old, standing so huge and black. I had never seen such a dirty cathedral. After hundreds of years of soot, dust, and smoke, Notre Dame was covered in layers of black grime. It was even difficult to make out the beautiful carvings and details on the exterior. But then the grand old cathedral went through a year-long restoration. Scaffolding was erected, and the entire exterior of the cathedral was sandblasted. She said, I was stunned when I saw a recent photograph of the cathedral. It was beautiful. so very different from the way I remembered it. The ancient stones glowed bright and golden. You could see details on the carvings that hadn't been visible in decades. It was, a, it was like a different cathedral. What a wonder a bit of sandblasting can accomplish. And she says, uh, you know, when I... When I use the word sandblasting, and when I think of how the process changed that cathedral in Paris, I can't help but consider the way God uses suffering to sandblast you and me. There's nothing like real hardships to strip off the veneer in which you and I so carefully cloak ourselves. Heartache and pain reach below the superficial 
surface places of our lives, stripping away years of accumulated indifference and neglect. When pain and problems press up against a holy God, suffering can't help but strip away years of dirt. Affliction has a way of jackhammering our character, shaking us up and loosening our grip on everything we hold tightly. But the beauty of being stripped down to the basics, sandblasted until we reach a place where we feel empty and helpless, is that God can fill us up with himself. When pride and pettiness have been removed, God can fill us with Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's quite a picture. Well, how, how well do we handle suffering? You know, I don't, I don't think any of us really wants to invite suffering into our lives. There, there's enough of that uh, on, on its own. As we consider our study in First Peter today, chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, Peter speaks about suffering. And that's, again, one of the major themes in this letter. We all suffer. And we all need to be sandblasted. We all need to be able to keep our suffering in perspective and be able to suffer with a purpose. And what I want us to see today is that uh, Peter says that we can have joy in suffering, that God can be glorified in suffering, and that we can trust God in our suffering. So let's read our Our text today, 1 Peter 12, read with me. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit and glory of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we, uh, we, come on this, we come upon this text that uh, really in a lot of ways... Uh, seems negative, yet it points out the reality of of life on earth. Lord, I pray that uh, we would would hear from you, Lord, that your your spirit would illuminate your word. Teach us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, we can suffer with a purpose. You know, though, though it's hard... God can use suffering for good, for our good, you know, and our suffering should bring joy. It should bring glory to God in whom we can trust. So let's look at this first point. Our suffering can, can bring joy. You know, Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. Uh, I guess probably most of us are surprised when it comes, though. You know, we think, well, 
why me? Uh, what's, what's going on? I can't, I can't believe this is happening to me. You know, this is something that happens to other people, right? Other people's families. Uh, and this just seems so strange. This shouldn't be happening. But Peter says, you know what? Don't be surprised. This is not unusual. It's something we should expect. People before us have suffered. People after us are, are going to suffer. You know, we're not alone. Jesus suffered and uh, plenty of others have as well. We can anticipate that we will all suffer in, in one way or another. You know, we might suffer from the hands of, of a corrupt government. That's what was happening when Peter wrote this letter to these churches. Christians were being murdered. They were being tortured and and persecuted. We might suffer at the hand of unbelievers. Yet Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Uh, even, Even fellow believers might inflict pain. Yet Peter says, love the brotherhood. Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when this suffering comes upon you. Verse 13, he says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You know, are are we able to do this? That's the question. You know, most of us really don't appreciate suffering. I don't tend to appreciate suffering, you know, but what do we need? We need a change in perspective. We need We need to look at it differently. We need to have a view towards Christ. We need to have a view towards our our hope of of glory. Only then can we rejoice. Again, Jesus suffered. A servant is not greater than his master, he said. If we we suffer for the, the sake of the gospel, if we, as Jesus said, suffer for righteousness' sake, we're not alone. We have every reason to rejoice and be glad. When? You know, he he says rejoice right now in the midst of suffering. But also he says we will rejoice more when his glory is revealed. You know, and I think that uh, we will really see things in proper perspective when, when we see Jesus. When Jesus returns in his glory and his majesty... I think I think we'll understand all things will be will be set right on on his return. Peter says, continuing on in verse 14, if you're if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed or blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You know, we might be mocked, we might be reviled, we might be insulted. Um, I was, I've, over the years, I've, I've been insulted when I've, when I've shared the gospel from time to time. People have just said very cruel things. Even, even a family member of mine said, you're a fool. You're wasting your life. I'm not, I'm not wasting my life. And if I'm a fool, uh, I'll be a fool for the Lord. Uh, you know, um, if we suffer those things, it's okay. It's okay. 
Are we able to do this? You know, we're not alone. We're not orphans. God is with us. Jesus said, I'll, I'll, I'll be with you. You always, he promises he will never leave us nor forsake us. 15, he says, let none of you suffer as, as a murderer or a, th- or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. That seems pretty obvious that if we do those things, uh, we're, we're bringing trouble upon ourselves. Uh, Peter's already talked about that earlier. I think, I think the, the exhortation about murder and, and thievery and, and evil, I think those are pretty uh, self-explanatory. What's this other one, though, this, this meddling? You know, we, we can see with, with those other things that we bring trouble on our own head. What is a meddler? A meddler uh, is one who meddles in things that do not concern the person. A, a busybody is another word for it that's used in the, in the scripture. Thomas Akempis, in uh, his writing, the, the Imitation of Christ, says, we might have much peace if we would not meddle with other people's sayings and doings. Blessed be the true, simple, and humble people, for they shall have a great plentitude of peace. And I think we get a good word picture of of what happens to a meddler in in the Proverbs, Proverbs 26, 7. I, I always laugh when I hear this. It says, whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. You know, a meddler just stirs up trouble for other people. This person uh, is, uh, simply put, a troublemaker. A troublemaker. You know, I know people like this. I think we all know people like this. You know, sometimes people will even seek out and invite meddlers to, to join them in their, in their conflict, and the results are never good. You know, it's interesting that uh, Peter lists this meddling along with uh, evil doing and, and murder. And uh, what was the other? Thievery. Yeah, I, I looked in the uh, Greek lexicon. I was kind of curious about this. This is a word that's not really used much in the, in the Bible, but uh, it, this word can carry the sense of of a spy or an informer, somebody who, who works behind the scenes to, to uh, bring evil about, to stir up trouble, to stir up strife. You know, this is, uh, this is serious business. This should never be in the house of God, in the family of God. You know, we need to, we need to build each other up. That's what we're called to do, not tear each other down. But in any case, Peter is saying, if you're a meddler, just as with these other things, you're going to bring trouble down upon yourself. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of what Jesus said about trouble. You know, we've we've already got enough trouble as it is, right? And uh, you know, Jesus here is talking about anxiety, actually. But he's in Matthew six thirty four. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Today's troubles are sufficient. We don't need to. We don't need to add on to them. Sometimes we just need to mind our own business and prevent bringing trouble upon ourselves and other people. Well, anyway, the thing is, we share in Christ's sufferings. 
When we suffer for his sake, for righteousness' sake, we can rejoice. We can suffer with a purpose. Next, our suffering can bring, should bring glory to God. Verse 16, Peter says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. You know, as hard as it is to endure suffering, we need to have that same attitude that Jesus had. If we suffer as a Christian, God is going to use that suffering for good. He's going to be glorified in it. Peter said, don't be ashamed if you suffer. It's not a disgrace. Now, we might feel disgrace if our attitude is wrong or our perspective is wrong. You know, we may, we may feel like there is no sense of purpose in our, our suffering. I think we often fall into that. But if we suffer, it is for God's glory. You know, it isn't, it isn't for us to uh, feel sorry for ourselves and actually in doing that, puff ourselves up, become self-focused, self-centered. Uh, he talks about suffering as, as a Christian. You know, what, what is a Christian? It's a, it's a Christ follower. It's a, a, a Christ person. You know, we're, we're named for Christ. We, we carry that name when we call ourselves Christians. It's a glory to be called by that name, is it not? And it's even more of a glory to be a Christian. Uh, Ignatius of Antioch said, only pray that I may have power within and without so that I may not only say it, but also desire it, that I may not only be called a Christian, but also be found one. When people see us, they should see Christ. We are Christians. We should glory in that. Yeah, we don't have any room for, for personal pride in our status as Christians, do we? We we serve a holy God, and you know, the requirement is that we, too, be holy. You know, Peter says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Um. With great privilege comes great responsibility, I think is what Peter is saying here. You know, the Christians in in Asia Minor who Peter was writing to, were writing to, uh, he says they're to rejoice because they're participating in the suffering of Jesus Christ. And they are also to make sure that if they do suffer, it's because they're doing good. And Peter now gives the foundation for, for these exhortations. They will someday stand before the Lord. They, they will answer to God for, for their behavior. And, you know, this not only applied to these believers in Asia Minor, but this applies to us as well. You know, we have the assurance, the assurance that God has forgiven us our, of our sins. We've been made righteous by the blood of, of Jesus, by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the, on the cross. He's, he's paid the penalty for our, our unrighteousness. He was our substitute, dying that, that we might live, that we might have life eternal. But he saved us for a reason, right? You know, our, our status and our position in Christ does not give us the uh, right to live in sin. 
And the Apostle Paul, talking about the, the abundant grace that, that God has given us, he, he answers the question, which really is the obvious question. If God has poured down so much grace on us, where, you know, where there is sin, sin about, grace abounds, right? Romans 6, 1 through 2, he says, what should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He says, by no means. Some versions say, God forbid. The point here is in no uncertain terms, no. We're, we're those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer, he says. So of course not, we should not continue in sin. You know, we're, we're called to live in newness of life in Jesus Christ, not following after sin as, as an unsaved person would do. You know, we're saved by grace through faith. This is, this is a gift of God. And why are we saved? We're saved for a purpose. We're saved for good works. God cares about our conduct as, as Christians. He cares about our hearts. He cares about our character. He has um, you know, revealed his, his holiness to us. He calls us to be holy. This is his expectation. We're, we're accountable. And Peter says here, judgment will begin in the house of God. The expectations are high. This reminds me when I was growing up, my, my parents, they, they always seemed to hold me and my, my siblings to a higher standard than I saw other kids, my friends being held to. And I, I, that bothered me. You know, they could get away with so much more than, than we ever could. And I remember asking, you know, why, why is it that my friend here can do this, whatever it is, and I can't? And uh, the, the, the parent, my parents' answer was, uh, you aren't our son. Or, or I am, they aren't my, he's not my son, you are though. He's not my son, he's not in my family, I'm not his parents, I'm not responsible for him. They said, we care about your character. We, we care about your, your testimony. We, we, want, we want you to live in such a way that uh, Jesus is, is glorified, that he's honored. Even as a little kid, this was really emphasized to us. And uh, you know, I think once I had kids, this, this made a lot more sense. You know, my, my wife and I, Chris, we were responsible for our, our own children. You know, the other parents are responsible for, for theirs. Our discipline was for our household, for our children. This was primary. <clears throat> also, you know, our discipline was different from the discipline that we saw in other families. You know, we, we tried our best to be consistent with within our family, but even then, you know, we we held our older kids to a higher standard perhaps than our younger kids. You know, much more is going to be expected of a 12-year-old than a 3-year-old. Paul continues this, this thought. He's saying, and if it begins with us, that is judgment. He said judgment begins in the house of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And I think Peter here is alluding to one of the Proverbs, Proverbs 11.31, which says, if the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more are the wicked and the sinner? You know, we're, 
we, we who are saved are, are accountable before God for our hearts, our, our thoughts, our actions, our motives, our affections. But we have forgiveness by the blood of Jesus. He's, he's paid that penalty. Um, praise God for that. But Peter's saying, what, what about the unsaved? They, they don't have that. You know, they're, they're rejecting the gift of salvation that is being offered to them and available freely. God has a way for them to go, and they're going the other way. They have much more to be accountable for. And in verse 18, interesting verse, he said, if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? If the righteous are scarcely saved, if that verse doesn't cause you to ponder and pause, Maybe something's wrong. You know, I, I think the thing is we do not recognize, we do not realize the uh, depth of our depravity. Yeah, I don't think we have a, a good grasp of the, the gravity of our sin. You know, there's, there's nothing within us, nothing without Jesus, nothing within us that entitles us to a God's gracious, gracious salvation. You know, we... We can't be good enough. We can't be better to the point to where we can say, I deserve this. We cannot possibly lift ourselves out of the, uh, the pit of our sinful state on our own. Not only, is it, not only is it very difficult, it's impossible. You know, it's by God's grace and only by God's grace that we're saved. Uh, Isaiah 59, 12 through 13 says it very well. He, Prophet Isaiah lays this out for us. He says, for our transgressions are multiplied before you. Our sins testify against us. Our, for our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, Conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Ooh. Without God, without the Lord Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation, there's no hope for us. No hope for us whatsoever. Peter continues. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also to the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for God shows no partiality. You know, God doesn't play favorites. Uh, those, those who reject him will, will face a, a bleak future in, in hell. doesn't matter if they are Jew or Greek, black or white, Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or whatever, we can only come to God by Jesus Christ. God doesn't play favorites. Nor does he play favorites with his children. Uh, our, our conduct matters. He cares about our, our hearts. He cares about our motives. 
what's within. That's what matters. But it's also what is within that uh, God can use for his glory. This, This discussion leads us to our final point that we can put our trust in Jesus and we can we can suffer with a purpose our our suffering should bring bring joy to us glory to God who is faithful and in whom we can trust this last verse peter says therefore therefore let those who are suffering according to god's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good that is that is the good news in, in this whole passage, is it not? We can put our trust in him. You know, is it, is it God's will that we suffer? Is it part of his plan for us? You know, this is, this is one of those passages you might read and say, well, I, I don't like this. You know, maybe we don't, but we need to honor God as, as sovereign. He's in control. His, his ways are higher than ours. His wisdom is perfect. He knows what he's doing. And uh, I think James helps, helps us to understand this in James 1, 2 through 4. You know, James writes his, his epistle. He just launches right into this thought. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, And let steadfastness have its full effect on you that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And up to this point, uh, Peter has been talking in the third person singular, talking about individual Christians suffering. And uh, now in this this last verse, he shifts to a third person plural. And what's the significance of that? I think that maybe it's, to uh, introduce the truth that as fellow Christians, as fellow believers in the family of God, we many times suffer together. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, the, uh, the Apostle Paul talks in terms of the, the church as, as being a body. And he says, if, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You know, that's that's kind of how it is with our physical bodies, right? Just last week, in the dark, in the middle of the night, I hit my little toe on my right foot on the uh, the bedpost. This this insignificant little tiny member that I never think about, my, my little toe, hit the bedpost and... It's just like I, I saw a flash in my, my brain and my, my whole body was focused on that little toe. You know, such a, such a thing that my whole body was literally jolted by the, the sudden intense pain of that, that small insignificant member. When we suffer according to God's will, Peter says we can entrust our souls to God. In the, in the New Testament, when the Bible talks about a soul, what is that? It's, it's the seat or, or the, center of, uh, the center of the inner human life in its various aspects. You know, we can, 
we can entrust that to God, our, our very lives, our very being, our very essence to God, our, our thoughts, our will, our emotions, you know, all, all that we are is his. And when we hand ourselves over to him, when we entrust our lives with him, giving him absolute trust, you know, we, we let him take our burdens our anxieties, our, our cares, we, we lay those down before him. You know, Peter will say in the last chapter of, of this letter you know, that we can cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. In, uh, in 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 12, Paul talks about his suffering. He says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in the suffering, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which is now being manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard unto that day what he has entrusted to me. In, in the ESV, this, this word that is translated, that which has been entrusted to me in the original language means my deposit. My deposit, what God has deposited in me. Maybe it's uh, what I've entrusted to him. Maybe it, maybe it means both. Maybe there's an element of both. You know, we give him our, our very souls in trust. But he has given us the Holy Spirit as a, as a deposit. It's beautiful, really. You know, it's a a nice picture of of the Christian life. And Paul, again, gives us a summary of of what our lives and our our conduct should look like as as Christians. In Philippians 1, 27 through 30, you may remember this. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign of them, to them, of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you and I had and now here that I still have. There's a few things we know from from all this. Uh, First, suffering is is temporary. Peter said that earlier. It's just for a little while. won't last forever. And we know that it does not even compete with the glory that will be revealed on on that last day when when Jesus comes in glory. We know that uh, trials are are necessary for our, our growth, for our refinement, for our purification. 
We know that uh, God's in control. He knows what we need. We know that uh, his wisdom is, is perfect. You know, Peter, Peter calls these trials fiery, fiery. Trials refine us. You know, the, 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 the idea is uh, purifying, removing the things from us which need to be, need to be done away with. Uh, Job, remember Job? In Job 23.10, says, When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. So trials build our faith. Faith produces joy even in, in the midst of pain. So we can trust God in the midst of our suffering. Let's wrap this up here. Why do we suffer? This is something we all struggle with. Every day when I, I talk to people in our church, I, I hear of suffering. We don't invite it, but uh, you know our, our suffering should bring joy. It can and should bring us joy. It can and should bring God glory. And we let's need to look to him. Let's, we need to look to him. Uh, trust our souls to him. Let's look to Christ as our example. In Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's glory. You know, Jesus didn't deserve the suffering that, that he endured but he bore it for us. And as we share in his suffering, God will use it to, to help us grow, to give us strength, to give us uh, endurance and glory to God who's faithful in whom we can trust. So just as that picture that we, we heard at first about that sandblasting of the uh, Notre Dame Cathedral in, in Paris, the, the years of grime and smoke and soot and all this stuff, that sandblasting just peeled those layers off. That's what suffering will, will do to us, for us. Let's pray. Our Father, our Father, in, in the name of Jesus and and by the Holy Spirit, we uh, you know, we acknowledge your your goodness, your your love towards us. Uh, we we think of Jesus and how he suffered on the cross, how he he died for our sins, Lord. Uh, that that we who are sinners could be saved. You you loved us, Father. You gave us your your only begotten Son, and Lord, we just thank you for the salvation that's available for those who believe in, in him. Um, Lord, I pray that you give us strength and endurance and joy as we experience uh, trials. Be glorified, Lord, in our, our lives, no matter what we're going through, even when we suffer, Lord. Be glorified, and Lord, we, we trust in you. Amen.